Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings, everyone. This is Hugh Ballou. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange offered by Center Vision Leadership Foundation, transforming leaders, transforming organizations, transforming lives. So as we transform lives, notice I started with transforming leaders. It's working on ourselves. We have a special guest today, uh, a new friend, but uh, like I said before we started, uh, Pat, I'm smarter than I look. I can spot quality. And he and I synergize in a number of number of areas. And so we're going to talk about leadership uh, generally and specifically today. If you're on Facebook or on the webinar and you want to throw some questions in, we'll see if we can address those, but certainly uh, share it with others. And if you don't have the THE nonprofit exchange on your podcast list and subscribe to it, you should, because there's exciting things that, that happen all the time. So I'm going to stop talking and ask Pat. Pat, you got to tell me again. I'm kind of slow. I'm in the South. Pronounce your last name one more time for me. Oh, so uh, my last name is Tamaklo. Tamaklo, yes. And I, I try to make it easier to pe for people because most people say, oh, I'll just call you Dr. Pat. And, and, and so just P-A-T, those are my initials. So Patrick Allen Tamaklo. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay, tell us who Pat is. So, so Pat, so, well, I am... Um, I would say I'm a young, young, um, young budding entrepreneur who has served over 23 years in the Naval Service and uh, today um, running and growing um, a leadership development firm, uh, West, West African Heritage, uh, born in New York. And, um, and now I did 23 years in the Navy and decided, guess what? I've learned a lot about leadership. I would you know, working with teams, working with uh, leaders from um, captains to admirals, uh, working bilaterally with other people. Um, and I've learned that it takes people, knowing people to, to connect. So, so I, I have pretty much grown um, to understand leadership as, a, as something that you as an individual have to work on yourself first. So I developed myself, learned through my mistakes, and, and, um, and today, um, I retired as a naval officer and I'm running this organization. So I'm also um, a pastor, a, a co-pastor of a, of, a, of a church here in Norfolk. It's an international, um, international church and I co-pastor with three others um, in Norfolk. And, and that's pretty much what I do. I, I have uh, two daughters who are, who are college, college, one is a college graduate and the other one is actually um, gonna be a sophomore here coming up shortly. And I do all this out of Virginia Beach. So that's a little bit about me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And um, Pat's a fellow Virginian. You live in Virginia Beach. Is that right? That's correct. Virginia Beach. Yeah. I used to live in Blacksburg, which is the largest town in Virginia. And you live in the largest city in Virginia. So oh, okay. I moved up to a middle-sized city, a, a small city, a, a Lynchburg, which is yes. in, the, in the mountains. We live in the pretty part of Virginia. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Everybody everybody, everybody says Lynchburg, the Blue Ridge Mountains and all that. But, you know, I enjoy Blue Ridge, you know, the, just looking over the, uh, you know, the ridges over there. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty. Well, having said that, we, my wife and I go to Virginia Beach on, uh, in, over the New Year's holiday to celebrate. And we love Virginia Beach. So. Um, that's a great place. So what is your passion? You, you've chosen this for a profession and yeah. it's, it's another career. So why did you choose this? What's your passion for leadership? You know what, my passion for leadership really revolves around transformation, which I know is near and dear to your heart. Um, and the passion of leadership stems from finding myself, whether accidentally or intentionally in leadership roles. And um, from grade school to high school to, you know, find myself in the Navy, um, started out enlisted and then quickly, you know, evolved into um, a commission status. Um, the passion for leadership is really about seeing the lives of people changed from either having a low self-esteem, not really realizing that there's somebody in God's eyes to really making dynamic transformation in their lives and seeing that what they thought they couldn't do 
is uh, is really somebody as, as possible. And so I like to be a part of that. And I do that through different strategies. So the passion is about leadership and transformation in people's lives, starting with self. You know, and I've seen you in other settings and that comes across when you present yourself. And part of who we are as leaders is our passion for what we believe in, our, yeah. our, our values and our principles to, that yeah. we operate with. Um, yes. So you mentioned transformation. Um, I'm a fan, and I discovered the works of Burns and Bass years ago, who, who wrote about transformational leadership. And actually, they use the military as a model. You've got objectives, you've got tactics, and then you, you build a high-performing team around that. So um, let's let's uh, talk about leadership. And you know, in 32, I've been doing this particular phase of my work. I serve mega churches, so. I was a leader and I was a music director and I discovered late into the game that 10% of my job was music. 90% was all the leadership stuff, which you made you bet. Yes, you bet. And so, go ahead. Yes. And I was going to say it takes a great leader to orchestrate, you know, music and everything else because without the leadership, music is going to be all over the place because you will know it when it's off, right? So you, you epitomize what leadership is when it comes to that. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're, we're only as good as our last gig. And, and <laughs> there you go. it's immediately evident. So there's a lot of, um, let's talk about a little bit about um, the culture of leadership, if, if we can. Um, yeah. there's, a, there's, a, there's a, I forget, maybe it's friendly fire, a, a condition in the military when you're in combat and your platoon will shoot you in the back. If they don't respect you, and there, there's um, there's corporate leaders to get shot in the back every day, but they don't even know it. So building building your high performing team, what are the obstacles, and what do we need to learn as leaders to be able to empower this team around us? Well, that's a, that's a awesome question. You know, I'll I'll give three things. I always like to, you know, give uh, tips or strategies in threes. The first I would say when you want that is one know yourself knowing yourself is always a key to excelling and it's about self-awareness if uh you know that you're people oriented then you have to really know how to complement your people oriented nature with task oriented people so knowing yourself is a, is a good start to doing that and 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 then you realize that the team then can have cohesion because they understand you, you know yourselves, you know your people person who may be too close to setting um, certain people because you're such a people oriented person. And sometimes it neglects the tasks that need to get uh, you know, um, done as a leader. You still have to meet tasks. So what do you do? You have to surround yourself with people that are more task oriented and then get them. That's why the synergy and in teamwork is important. So starting with knowing yourself, whether your people are in or your task are in it, so you can look at the opposites and then move in that direction. So that's one, knowing yourself. The second piece is, is knowing your people. Knowing your people is about understanding what the shortcomings and the strengths are with your team. And sometimes it is hard to spot if you don't even know yourself first, right? Because you tend to see, um, you tend to see others negatively when maybe they're just flaws. And one thing that I've, I've you know, I have come across is that the, we have to make a distinction between errors in judgment and errors in character. You know, there, there's a difference because, because character means that that's who the person is, you know, but judgment can happen to anybody at any time. So when we know your team, what happens is that, you know, this is a quality person. Their character proves it every day. And because the character proves it every day, what you want to make sure you're doing is that you're leading them through a process of transformation so they can excel for the team, for themselves and for the team. But what happens if that person that is great in character makes an error in judgment? Do you crucify the person? Do you then say, okay, well, I'm sorry. Um, have a nice day. You don't belong here anymore. And sometimes that was, that's what happens with our organizations. We sacrifice people for their errors in judgment. So knowing your team is exceptional to excellence. And then the third thing is know the environment in which you're, you know, you're, you're growing, you're nurturing, you're trying to create. Because sometimes the environment might not be conducive 
for whatever environment that you're, or whatever goal you're trying to attain. So the environment helps a lot. And so um, if, let's say for instance, that you are, as a leader, you're creating a hostile environment. You don't even know that, right? The question that I'm gonna ask is, how are you getting feedback from your people? What kind of environment are you creating? Are you asking people for feedback as you lead? Because if you think, oh, I'm a great leader, I'm doing all this, and you don't have one person telling you how your speech was or how your attitude was in that dialogue or, or whatever it is, and, and you create a hostile environment, um, you're not gonna last as a leader. Um, you're going to actually um, put a nail in your own coffin. So knowing yourself, knowing your team and knowing your environment, the environment you're creating is critical to developing a team cohesive environment. That's my three tips for you today on that topic. <laughs> it takes a lot of skill to crystallize complex concepts into some points that people can grasp and then move forward from there. Yeah. And it seems like those three things are interconnected. Let me give you an analogy. As a conductor on a podium, mm -hmm. one, of the, one, one of the really good teachers, Rodney Eichenberger of conductors, mm -hmm. says what they see is what you get. Mm -hmm. So talk about how lack of self-awareness. Leaders sometimes set up problems and they blame others. I know. So talk about this, this, this knowing self and, and this lack of awareness. How does that impact leadership? Wow. Like, you know, um, and I, I could go on for hours about lack of self-awareness and what happens as a result of that. So I'm glad you, you know, you're anchoring that. You know, uh, lack of self-awareness, number one, it leads to, um, I don't want to say hostile environment, but it leads to failure in, in, in some ways. Now, it may not be an entire failure, but it leads to, um, number one, a breakup of a team because you don't know yourself enough to calibrate yourself, to, to change things about yourself. So one, it leads to failure. A lack of self-awareness um, leads, leads to self-aggrandizement. And by that, I mean that um, you think you're doing great and everything about you is super, you know, all everything about you, because you're in the position of leadership without any feedback or not knowing your strengths, you think everything is going great. And as a result of that, it could break down the team. And you've heard of the saying that people leave their bosses and not their jobs. And that's exactly the reason why, because of lack of self-awareness, people don't realize that the, the organization has, is, 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 um, is losing people as a result of the leader. And so, so your retention, your, your retention um, uh, goes completely down because of you. So lack of self-awareness is a result of that, you know? And then thirdly, the lack of self-awareness can really lead to, you know, the bottom line really just, I'm, I'm sorry, there's an, there's an airline just, well, you know, flying over. So there's a little bit of uh, noise here, but lack of self-awareness leads to you losing money as well. And I know nobody wants to lose money. So how does that happen? Lack of self-awareness leads to loss of money. If you're a leader, and you find yourself spending a lot on things that are not productive towards a goal, you realize that your balance sheet is probably gonna be, you know, a lot of um, expenses and very little revenue or, or, or assets. Why? Because you don't realize, you don't know yourself, and you don't know that you're somebody who spends. So those are some of the three things that could lead to like a, you know, from a lack of self-awareness. Absolutely, I, I, it's been a while, some, and I can't cite the source of this, but, um, I had read in the past that um, leaders spend an enormous amount of time, I think three fourths of their time addressing conflict when maybe they're the ones <laughs> that set yes. it up. And then a yes. companion statistic is the Gallup. Year after year after year, the Gallup survey says that 70% of the corporate workforce, it's not leadership, that's the corporate workforce, are either disengaged, yes. highly disengaged, and to your point, that's translated into uh, $500 billion in lost revenue, just in wasted time. Mm -hmm. So what about leaders? How do, how do we sometimes have blind spots and actually set up some of these issues un unknowingly? You know, um, the blind spots are a result, it goes back to having a process or, or, or a system that needs to be in place 
to to avoid those blind spots um, unknowingly. And 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 for me, one of the ways I avoid setting up these blind spots is um, having a system in place. It's a feedback mechanism, and the feedback mechanism is built into uh, my presentations, is built into uh, the team that I have uh, that surround me, and and it's really uh, it's 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 also be it's also built into just the the culture that I create through uh, through my conduct. Now, what do I mean by all this? Um, when I, whenever I give a presentation, let's say I have a, a 30 minute or 45 minute presentation, at the end of the presentation, I typically have a survey, right? So setting up myself, setting up myself for success where I wanna make sure that I know people um, are following. The survey is intended to give me immediate feedback on how the presentation went so that I can learn from that. And then for people to to realize that I'm acknowledging what they're putting across. So that is set up in a, in a, like a questionnaire or um, on the polls that we take, for instance, on the Zoom. Okay, so that is something right there. I get immediate feedback and people know that I care about their thoughts. I care about recommendations that they make. So, so that's one. Secondly is a system that I have where at the end of the event, you know, the team then gets together and said, ladies and gentlemen, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? And how can we improve upon it? Okay, so that, so everybody knows to be taking notes during the process of the event. And it could be as simple as a 30, 45 minute presentation that I'm giving, but everybody has a hand in it. So setting yourself up for failure uh, would be you not having those things in place uh, to, to begin with. And, and then thirdly, um, you have an online presence. If, if you have Google review, for instance, um, that's a place where you, you seek out feedback from people and say, hey, give me a review. Uh, give me an honest review. Now, that's probably also a place where somebody can really uh, make you look bad. You know, uh, so, 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 how, so how do you do all this? So trying to avoid setting up yourself for failure is about making sure systems are in place. And when you have systems in place that create feedback and create an opportunity for you to become self-aware, um, it helps you excel in any way you can. Wise words. Lots of really good sound bites. Uh, I'll point out if you go to thenonprofitexchange.org, T-H-E, nonprofitexchange.org, um, you'll see a summary of this session and the last one, and then click on the, uh, the previous videos. You get to see all of the videos from seven years but you'll find this one, you can click on this page and, and, the, and you'll see the transcript and there'll be some really remarkable sound bites you'll find there, I'm sure. And if you have a smartphone, go to anywhere you get your podcasts and you can find the nonprofit exchange there and you can have them on your phone. You can listen to them while you're driving or whatever, but be sure to watch the road. Don't try to take notes when you're listening into podcasts in your car. So Pat, you hit on the a really for me, a key element. In 32 years of working with business leaders and nonprofit leaders in all kinds of places, in small organizations to multinational, huge organization, communication always comes up. Never has it failed in any organizations to come up as one of the topics at the beginning. And, and communication as a negative, it's not there. So they all talk about it, but they don't know what to do about it. And to compound it, um, I hear often from leaders, we can't ask people what they think because if they tell us what they think, then we're obliged to do it. No, no. So speak to, the, to these dynamics, would you, about uh, how do you, how do you um, gauge that you're, you're effectively communicating and engaging with your team? Oh, well, uh, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that. So, um, you know, the global relationship is one of the things that we love to talk about is um, communication. Um, being an um, MNT of John Maxwell, um, I'm sure for those who are faith-based, they know John Maxwell is, is a renowned um, communicator. And when he mentors, he has a book that, that says, um, um, I can't remember exactly what, what the title is, but, but it, talks about, it talks about communication and it, and it talks about connection. So, it's about communicating is something that people can just, you know, you talk, but are you really making a connection? So the connection is about being involved and being into the person that is connecting with you. So 
why are the communication gaps in um, organizations? Why are the communication um, gaps in, you know, in, in teams? Why is it that people cannot get that piece um, across? How do you know when you're being effective? You know you're being effective by, by making sure that whoever you're communicating with is giving you feedback. And the feedback is obtained through several ways. Uh, the feedback is obtained through you engaging with the individual in a way that uh, you pose questions with the expectation of an of a response, and and or or you create an atmosphere or you, or you or you create a culture where you're putting questions or you're putting people in a in a position to give you feedback. And where there is no feedback, whether, whether, whether it is personal feedback or is feedback by organization, where there's no feedback or there's silence, feedback being you're not getting the kind of feedback that you want or there's silence at all, it means there's a gap in communication. So what do you do about it? The first thing you wanna do is, is to, to really follow up about the question that you asked or follow up about the topic that seems to be, create a gap in communication and, and see whether people are really on board with that. Okay, so one is feedback. Is there feedback or not? And then secondly, is there follow-up? The follow-up piece of it is where people really lose, uh, lose in the communication piece of it because communication is only effective if you get a response from the other party. So. How do you do that? You do that by making sure that you are engaged as well. There are leaders that tend to be offhandish where they, they expect that, oh, I have sent the email and so I should expect a response back. Well, what I do typically is what I call the dual prong approach. I send the email and then I follow up with a phone call if I have the phone number for that. Or I find somebody who does have you know, a connection with a person and try to reach them. So making sure that you are covering both ends is critical to, you know, to being effective in communication. And, and then the last thing I would say about you know, the communication piece of it is to connect, you really have to make sure that you are seeing the other from the other party's view. And it goes back to knowing your people. If you know your people and you know your team and you know what makes them take, or when I say take, what makes them successful. You always wanna approach the questions and also approach the concerns from their perspective. What will Timmy do? I know Timmy has a tendency to um, have problems at home and so is often late to work. How do I communicate to him effectively to let him know that it's not okay to continue doing this because he's gonna soon lose his job. By that, what you, the way you communicate with Timmy is, you find out how things are going at home. You're asking for, you want feedback. And then let Timmy be able to express themselves to a point where now you not only gained insight into Timmy's world, but you've also given him an opportunity to then consider whether or not this is a workplace for him to, um, to, to keep on coming to work, or, or it, it's something that he can actually decide to uh, terminate himself. So then you don't then terminate Timmy. Timmy makes the decision to terminate himself from work because he realizes that the standards that you've set in this organization are not something that he can keep up with. Now, how do you communicate that? You communicate that by being the person's world and making sure the person understands that you are, you are supportive, you're empathetic, you're compassionate. And that connection can only happen if you are engage and trying to seek feedback from the person. A one-way direction or one-way communication where, okay, this is how things are gonna be, or this is how things are, is not communication. Always seek to get feedback from the other party and follow up with it, making sure that you get the response you're looking for. That's great. You know, there's so many assumptions that we have all the right answers. <laughs> you know, my take is when, when I had a leader going into a meeting, he says, I'm gonna straighten things out because you know, I always have the right answers. My company, I said, that's wrong. He went, what do you mean it's wrong? I said, isn't it more important that they have the right answer? What do they do if you're not there? And so I think that's a sign of, of a good transformational leader is you can leave and it works just the same as, as if you were there because you, you um, I want to talk about behavioral traits and, and 
in in other pieces but i want to not leave communication for a minute um it's 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 to me leadership and communication are based on relationship yes yes and so there there's there's a similarity in the military and in performance with an orchestra mm -hmm. you know um people assume that a conductor is a dictator well you've got a little white stick and you've hired union musicians you can't make them do anything <laughs> you know so but you can influence them so i think it's similar you have a we're both in music and in military there's a rigid structure but we function within that with our individuality and our creativity but we still got the structure and the common values and principles that we operate with mm -hmm. so so speak about the the listening part of communication mm -hmm. and the awareness part because as a speaker you can tell when you lost an audience right away. Yes. yes. I mean, the bigger they are, the quicker they turn on you. When you start losing them, that's, that's hard. And But leaders don't pay attention, don't listen, don't observe, listen with their eyes too. Don't observe. So how do we stay in tune with this communication so, piece and so, then continue with groups and individuals building Great. Um, you, you mentioned listening and then also being able to make sure you're, you know, you're, you're communicating. Um, and, and, and I want to rope on the relationship piece of it. You know, when I coach, when I coach leaders, the first thing I have to be able to learn to do is to listen, you know, because, and, and sometimes as a leader, I don't listen too well, you know, so I have to keep, it's a constant battle. I have to keep, I have to keep training myself because um, when you want to coach a leader, because leaders by nature don't want somebody else to lead them. <laughs> That's why they are leaders, right? So, so listening is about the relationship piece of it. You got to develop a relationship with the individual, okay? And the relationship comes only when trust is earned. And, and uh, so to communicate effectively, uh, I like to use the word connection. Because communication is not about just saying some words, expecting the person has heard it. It's about making a connection. And the connection can only happen if you are attentive to what the person is saying. Uh, my sister has often said, listen to what the other person is not saying. Uh, to me, that was profound. Uh, that, was, that was one thing that, uh, because I talked about how I was coaching somebody and the person was you know, talking, I said, but they didn't tell me that. I said, no, 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 uh, big bro listen to what the person is not saying. I said, wow. And being that she's a minister, I bet, I bet she does that all the time. So listening is not just about the words that are heard. It's about the words or the feelings that are unspoken and unheard, right? How do you connect with the people on that? And, and so fortunately, since, I, since you gave me that tip, what I've done often is when people are talking about how they feel in a coaching session or whatever, I try to listen to sound bites or, or things that they are not saying or they are saying it differently. If somebody, for instance, says, oh, well, um, you know, uh, Suzanne or John or, or uh, Sheila did not, come, did, did not come to work the other day and um, I, I've really been thinking about what's you know what's going on. I'm, I'm I'm having I'm having second thoughts about about whether this person is really effective as a team member or not. When the person says I'm having second thoughts about whether this person is being effective or not, what they're really saying is that I'm this close to firing him or her, right? But they're not going to come out and articulate that clearly. But what do you have to do then at that point is when you listen to that, you have to then ask the questions about, okay, are you thinking about firing Tim, Suzanne, you know, Sheila, not? And let the person play down and say, yes, I am. So then, then you ask, why didn't you just say that? Okay, but of course, leaders don't want to say that I'll come across as, uh, as uh, some of the leaders are very abrupt, they can, they can do that. So, so listening uh, takes having a connection with a person. So listen attentively to what the person is not saying. Be attentive, very attentive, and then ensure you have that, develop that relationship with the person for them to trust you enough to communicate what they want to say. That's my recommendation to that. Yes, and I, um, if you 
had some of the same education I did when I studied uh, coaching. I studied with corporate coach you, and it was a new acquaintance with silence. <laughs> you know, when wow. somebody finishes talking, you wait. Uh-huh. And that's a clarifying moment. Was That was an aha moment for me. Now, um, studying with some of the best, the top conductors in the world, I, I, in rehearsal, I would notice Robert Shaw, there would be this gap. We'd do a part and he'd stop us. And then he'd say, here's what we're going to do. There was that moment of clarification, but it also sends a message to the person you're listening to that, yeah, I'm listening to what you said and I'm, I'm responding. So we're going to take a quick, a quick uh, commercial time here. Sure. If you just came by the nonprofit exchange, we're talking, and I put my props over to the side. We're talking to Pat Tomaclu. Is that right? Did I get it? Did I get yes, it? Yes, Tomaclu. Tomaclu. Yes, indeed. Tomaclu. Well, you know, I'm Southern. And <laughs> in the South, we got our own language. We got our own, sometimes our own, our own grammar rules. Like none of us is as smart as all of us. But we published a magazine, Pat. I bet you didn't know that. Called the non nonprofit performance. Okay. I think I knew about somebody, but I wasn't sure, you know, whether it was a magazine or it was a, um, an online um, um, newsletter or something. Okay. It is a magazine, Bonafide magazine. And um, we yeah. invite people to look at uh, nonprofitperformance.org, nonprofitperformance.org. Right. Yes. It, it's part of our online community, nonprofit, I mean, it's, it's nonprofitcommunity.org. So mm-hmm. if you're interested in having people that you know, that you don't know, people who are in a similar workspace to have camaraderie with, to learn together, to have times for masterminds, um, and to grow your skills, um, that's the place to be. Uh, so it's nonprofitcommunity.org. Now, I just talked about my dialect, and, and you know, I'm Southern, y'all, and, there's a, and you're in the South. <laughs> now, now, you said earlier that you, you came from a, a Western African country. Which one? Ghana, Ghana. My heritage is from Ghana, West Africa. Um, both parents are from Ghana. Love it, love it. Um, one of the uh, groups I worked with years ago produced events for choirs, and it was competitions. Mm-hmm. And um, in 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 Graz, Austria, in 2008, there were 450 choirs from 120 countries. Wow. Among them, there were 40 choirs from South Africa and 20 choirs from other African countries. Yeah, that was a wake up to there's a bunch of music going on. I never I was studying to be a musicologist. There yeah. was a bunch of stuff going on. So what I found that even though there were specific cultures, specific customs, specific performance expectations, there was a unity in the fact that we wanted to make really good music. Uh-huh. So despite you know, we all have our heritage, we all have our affinity group, we all got our families and things that we like, but we come together. How do we show up fully as a leader in a community? And how do we lead? How do we lead to, like, here's an, here's an analogy. Everybody in the orchestra plays a different instrument with a different sound. Mm-hmm. There's no way they're going to approach music making the same way, mm-hmm. personality-wise, instrument-wise, et cetera. But when we come together, we have a unified purpose to use our gifts and our skills and our perspectives. So talk about when you build teams, you, you empower people from various perspectives, old, young, whatever. There's lots of dynamics. I learned in that, in that engagement, when you got 125 cultures doing a performance, even the same kind of music, that mm-hmm. there are different ways of doing it, but there's a coming together of excellence and passion that empowers everybody. So how do we do that as leaders? How do we encourage that? Well, great. So it goes back to the knowledge of uh, the team, the people, strengths and challenges within the organization. Um, I have a, I have a process that I, I call the, uh, you know, the, the person job fit program where we try to fit people's roles or people's um, work environments with their talents. Because sometimes you have square pegs and round holes and it makes the organization dysfunctional. And so it makes a team then dysfunctional. So <clears throat> the first thing one has to identify is what is, again, using Timmy as a, an analogy here, let's, let's say Timmy, Timmy is really good with numbers, yet 
Timmy is now the front desk manager. How effective is Timmy gonna be when Timmy likes to be in the back, always dealing with numbers and just because a person has a nice face, right? Just because Timmy has a nice face and he thinks you're being the front desk doesn't make Timmy effective. So how do you then identify, you know, the strengths or, or, or the capabilities of one and, and, and how to bring them into a group to, to make them synergistic? You do so by asking, it goes by the communication thing. Timmy, what are you passionate about? And you'd be surprised that even though you think Timmy has a nice face to be at the front desk, Timmy does love numbers and could be even better than your accountant in the back there. So guess what? As long as Timmy is not being utilized in the back office as um, an assistant to the accountant so that they can be at their peak performance and do something they're passionate about, Timmy is not gonna be on a very effective receptionist for you. So it starts with asking, communicating, what Timmy is passionate about, then you find out that people have strengths and, and really gifts and talents that you didn't even know about. What they show up on your resume or their qualifications out of college is not necessarily what they're really good at. Maybe Timmy just decided to major in uh, political science because it was the easiest thing to do, but they're really passionate about accounting. So to, to, to answer your question, aligning, aligning the gifts and talents of people by first asking them what they're passionate about, because that's ultimately really what one's calling is, is what somebody's passionate about and wants to excel. That's the only way you can really do transformation. Connecting people what they're passionate about so that they can excel at it. And then you as a leader can help them transform them into becoming a better version of themselves. And then they are also more engaged and more, and more valuable to the team because Timmy being a receptionist as a member of the team is not as effective as Timmy being an accountant or a, an assistant to the accountant in the back office. So the team then is a little bit less strengthened because you did not put the right person in the right job or with, with the right, you know, with the right area of your expertise. So aligning the team with gifts and talents by asking the right questions, find out what people are passionate about, not what's on the resume but what they're passionate about is one key way to being able to excel as a team member. <laughs> oh, really good advice. There's also <clears throat> another dynamic to this that I run across even with very powerful leaders. There's somebody not performing up to speed and they don't want to address it because they don't want to hurt their feelings. Yes. And so we come across as a poor leader. It's like me in a rehearsal stopping and saying trumpets, it's too loud, pull it back one dynamic level. If I didn't do that, their, their feelings weren't hurt. If I didn't stop them, I would be perceived as a poor leader. So give us some tips on how do we address the low performance. Now, keeping in mind, it might have been set up because we put the wrong person in the wrong slot. Mm. And Hugh, you're asking some great questions that just, just, just tickles me because I love talking about this stuff. You know, um, in, 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 um, in, I'm not sure whether it's the one I'm writing now or the one I wrote, book uh, for essential qualities and attributes of organizational leader. Um, I, I, I talk about um, Jack, Jack Welsh's um, approach where he talks about, you know, trash canning the bottom 10%. Yeah, yeah. You know, and Neutron Jack was that kind of people. You know, in any organization, you, you know, the Pareto principle rules, you 20% of the people are always the ones that are doing the job um, with 80% of the resources. And the, the other 80% just don't do anything. And, and that, that's just how it is. Um, so I write about that in the sense that I look at it that the, the, the bottom performers are people that have not really caught on yet. Because if everybody is listening to you and you're creating a culture where everybody feels empowered and feels strengthened to be part of the team, then find out why the bottom 10% are not performing. Is it because they're misaligned with what the goals of the, of the objectives are or because they're unhappy? And if you find that there's a misalignment or they're displeased, you don't send them on their way because they're gonna be dirt back somewhere else as well. What you then do is reassign them. Reassign them to something within the organization 
that is going to let them realize what they are, realize what their strengths are. And then that is an opportunity for them to, to, um, to do what I call self-discovery, right? So, and, and, I, and I use a model of you give them three months. There's a timeline that you give them. And you, you develop an individual leadership development plan. And I've done this, you know, with, uh, with teams before where an individual leadership development plan is nothing more than individuals that seem not to be performing or seem like they have shortcomings in the, you know, in the leadership development to identify exactly what their limitations are and then discover exactly what their strengths are. And soon you realize that the 10, bottom 10% that are just not performers, it's not that they're non-performers, it's just that they are in the wrong place or nothing is really challenging them. They have to be challenged. People love to be challenged. Challenged because they, you probably wouldn't have hired them in the first place if, if they were really that bad. So most of the time, the non-performers are a result of two things, either because they are not challenged or because they've been put in the wrong place. And what you then do is develop, help them develop an individual leadership development plan to discover themselves, realize themselves, to get to a level of self-actualization where they can then discover that they can be part of the 80% or they can jump to the other 20% that are actually performers in the organization. That's what I would do. And, and there's a time frame for that. Three months where you have them on a program to develop themselves. That's what you do with that bottom. Absolutely. And are the expert, the other piece of that, which comes to mind is, are the expectations clear to everyone? And, and, and um, have we put them in the right spot? And what are we measuring? Are we measuring the right things? The right things. That's right. But then you would expect that the measurement that you have for one team or one group of people, and we talk about teams here. So if you have a measure or a metric for everybody, whether it is uh, KPIs, whatever you're using to measure that, it has to be across the board. You know, I remember as, a, as an active duty person, um, as an officer, there is uh, what they call fitness reports, right? And uh, they have all this um, really anecdotal stuff that they have there, but then they have check marks for it. And the highest you can really get is a five. So it's a five in leadership, five in team, teamwork, five in this. And if everybody gets a five and there's really no room for, um, for, for growth, it makes, makes people think that they're walking on water. But believe it or not, commanding officers and um, team leaders or supervisors give people 4.8 or 4.7. And some, in some cases, almost all fives in each of the categories. And so as a leader of, of the team or the commanders or whatever, I'm going to ask a question. Are you telling me this person really walks on what in all these categories? So there's either a flaw with the system you're using as a metric for measuring what you're looking for, or it's a complete lie. Nobody can be perfect in every category across the board. There has to be areas identified where the strengths are. And please don't mark a five in those areas. A five may be one area, but certainly not four out of the five categories. <laughs> but that's what you tend to see sometimes in, um, in performance appraisal marks or, or metrics that you use to, to measure the performance of people. Let's go back to the character of the leader and style. I mean, we can classify there's just so many different styles of leadership. And I gravitated to transformational leadership because it sort of reflected my position as a conductor. You know, you transform instrumentalists into an orchestra, then you transform that orchestra into an ensemble. And in the church, we transform people's lives. It's not about music. It's about, it's about who we are and how we respond to God's call in whatever ministry we're in or whatever activity that we're called to, to be. So the character of the leader. Uh, so transformational leadership is the, is the same side of the equation as servant leader. Servant leader is usually invisible but a transformational leader and a servant leader serve the vision. I mean, we serve others, but the transformational leader is like a platoon leader. We're out there cheerleading. And sometimes people need that cheerleader and that encouragement from a person in front. Um, do you subscribe to any particular style of, of leadership that you want to share? Well, um, I, I always advocate, um, you know, servant leadership. Um, 
uh, being a graduate of Ridge University, that was one of the things it, it, they 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 sing and they 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 profess certain leadership, and and I'm a big proponent of that. Um, one, I'll tell you what I don't you know, for the great man theory, you know, of leadership of uh, being you know autocratic leadership or all that. I don't, but it depends on what environment you're in. So I don't want to pick any particular style of leadership because servant leadership, authentic leadership, transformational leadership, you know, um, and, 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 and any other leadership that really tends to hone in to the, the, uh, uh, the connecting with people and getting people empowered to lead themselves is something that I would prescribe. And so, so I, I think that as leaders, we tend to use different styles of leadership based on the situations in which we find ourselves. Because I've tried, I've tried to say, hey, I'm an authentic, you know, leader. I practice authentic leadership, you know, but then in some cases, you end up finding yourself um, really using transformational leadership techniques to, to, to be able to address some of those things. And so there's some synergy between our, you know, transformation, transformation leadership and authentic leadership. And that in itself is because the situation dictates it. Serving leadership where you are really serving others first uh, is, all, is, 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 one, is one way um, to do that, especially in a nonprofit environment, you find yourself being a servant leader more than any other kind of leader. So I would say the environment dictates the kind of leadership uh, to employ, whether it is transformational, servant, authentic, um, and preferably not autocratic. Uh, but again, then again, in some situations, autocratic leadership tends to be um, the, uh, <laughs> the, the one that, that people uh, like. I think of the military as an autocratic um, um, organization because it's, you, you, you follow orders and it's my way or the highway kind of thing. But, but some leaders, good ones in the military have really adapted um, to uh, the, the transformational piece of it, you know, and, and what, what they wanna do is bring you into that and, 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 and let you see how their, their, their thoughts and the mission really leads to the goals that we're trying to, so we do that together as a team. Okay, and so it's not so much as orders. Yes, we have orders to execute uh, to get the mission accomplished. But ultimately, if you see yourself as part of it, and then you set your goals and objectives towards that, it leads to a transformation ultimately to the result that you're looking for. Uh, so I, I, I think it depends on the environment in which you are. Well, and I, I applaud that. It's, it's um, not one size fits everybody in every situation. And for instance, um, transformational leadership in the military is about a high performing culture because you mm -hmm. can't micromanage people in combat. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, in, in yeah. city leadership or state leadership, you have an emergency, you can't micromanage people. In concert, we can't micromanage people. So it we shift to a command position because mm -hmm. you know you're you're conducting uh, I'm conducting a concert, things happen, I need to be in charge. And this is this is what the people look to me for mm -hmm. that answer. And people yeah. look to leader and autocratic leaders that are always autocratic is more about them than the vision. That's the other thing that appealed to me about servant leadership, transformational leadership is it's about the vision. It's not about me. Yes. Yes. So character, you, you talk a, a little about, you know, um, the, the, the um, behavior traits of a leader, but let's talk about the character of the leader, mm -hmm. you know, being a rotten person, um, being uh, now, there are a lot of opinions about Jack Welch. It's sort of the fear leadership. If you're in the bottom 10%, you're gone. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's, and you pointed out, there's a nurture piece. Let's find out what the real problem is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people you can't rescue, you can't help. They, they just don't fit. But maybe there's some uh, people who are nothing but potential. If yeah. we, could, we could grant the pathway. So talk about the impact of values and principles and character as a leader on the whole culture. Wow. And he, I am so thankful you're asking these questions. These are so great. I tell you what, I, I love, I love the notion of character, you know, and that is, that is part of my five point, you know, scale. I, I, I have a system that I have, which um, it's called the, uh, the five point paradigm. Now, character is the one that you need for follower engagement. Now, 
what do I mean to follow engagement? If you don't have character, <laughs> you, your followers are going to be gone pretty soon. Okay, um, it goes back to what I was talking about. You know, whether if if you have if you are if you're a leader and and you have a, an error in, in your character, then it's really a problem than an error in judgment. So character as a as a leader, I think is essential for you to excel because when you are leading, integrity is part of your character. Character is what really resonates with people. Character is the is 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 your drink. Character is what you live by. Character is what permeates, is what people see and what people really feel from you. Now, how does the person feel character? It is in what you do and how you do it. Because if you say one thing and then do another, there's probably an error in your character, okay? And, and then your integrity can be questioned as a result of that. So I would say that uh, to, to, to have followers follow you diligently, I wanna go to battle with you, or I wanna serve on your team, or wanna excel in your organization, you have to practice what you preach for lack of a, you know, a better cliche, you have to practice what you preach and practicing what you preach or really living your life of integrity is what shows your character. Because sooner or later, uh, if there's a flaw in your character, it's going to be revealed. And, and oftentimes it's revealed in the most inopportune times when you are under pressure, when you feel like you're at your wit's end and when you really feel like there's nothing for you to do and you're on a team. Um, if, if you're a Christian and at the slightest um, sign of stress, you are going to cuss people out or, or you're, you're going to have Gary come out of your mouth and, 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 and then the next minute you turn around and do something, people are going to want to wait a minute. Um, is this just a facade that you have on or this is really who you are? So characters about who you are more than about what you do, even though they are related. So characters, who you are, and it's evident mostly when you're under pressure. So I, I, I think when you're in a team, it's really putting yourself in times of pressure and in times when you're, you're, you're real at your wit's end to be able to reveal who you are for your followers to follow you. And, you know, as an old guy, I can ask you this. How'd you get so wise at such a young age? This is a lot of good stuff, man. <laughs> I said, wisdom comes from God. I, I, I just seek it. <laughs> Solomon did. He, he asked for wisdom. And uh, thanks for that compliment, because I don't consider myself wise at all. I just consider myself passionate about something, and that's leadership. Well, uh, it's coming through. And, and you know, you've, you've seen some things, and you've interpreted it. And you know, you're, you're able to analyze situation without uh, fault finding. Um, I thank you for the affirmation of good questions. Those were reframing and, and clarifying questions from Bob Hopkins, who's, who's watching us, who's, uh, you know, oh, okay. everybody about philanthropy and uh, you've seen, seen him in the C-suite on Fridays and the social. Nice. Um, so um, I said uh, that I had people in my committees at a mega church that were not leaders, but politicians. Yes. Now we're, we're in a, pretty sad state in our country with, with uh, things in DC where we aren't really listening and we're blaming everybody when in fact you can blame other people, but try to find anybody that's innocent as is my, my And so we don't take a political stance or we don't name people and, and, and put faults on them. But uh, how can, how could, from your stance, how could politicians be leaders or better leaders? Uh, well, that assumes the politicians are not leaders, right? <laughs> So, so here's the thing, and I'm so glad you're asking this question because it is important to understand the fact that just because you're in a position of authority does not make you a leader. And I have to say that over and over again to people, you know, um, taken from um, my mentor there, John, John, John Maxwell, where it says uh, position is just a, a, place of, a place of privilege, right? You, you have just, um, you've just earned the right to be there, but you haven't really earned, you haven't really earned the permission from the people to be there. And the permission comes as a result of having a relationship 
with the people. So if you're a politician, only a politician because somebody thought, oh, well, guess what? You spoke well, they want something from you and all that. And so guess what? I'm gonna vote you into office. It has nothing to do with your leadership. The leadership is about engaging people, connecting with people, finding a desire to transform the lives of people. So you ask how they can be better? They can be better by first going back to what I talk about, which is a question piece of it. Ask people, what do you need for me to do to be a better representative for you? And soon you'd be surprised how much people need you to, to carry the water for them. So unfortunately, politicians go into the office saying, oh man, I can't wait to get there. So now I can have a position of prestige. Everybody's gonna look at me. It's everything about self-aggrandizement, everything about them and little about the people they're representing. So they're not really in a position of leadership. They're just in a position of representation. So how can they be better? Three tips. One, find out what people need and connect with your constituents. By connection, I mean be present. Be present when they need you. Because when you're present with people and you have a connection with them, you don't even have to, you don't even have to hold any any elections. People are just automatically going to vote you to office because you care. Okay, so be present by caring. Number two, I'm not going to say compromise, but what I'm going to say is listen to what the other party is saying. The other party meaning meaning those that by nature are are not on your team. When we talk about politics, we talk about Republican or Democrat if you're in the United States. Um, and find out if there's any areas of synergy for the benefit of the people. So it's not about you in a position about, about, about you know, what is going to make us look good or what is going to make our party look. It's about what is going to make us collectively as a team excel, transform. So that's the second thing. It's always about the collective and not about the individual, whether it's a party or, or um, one individual, or whatever. It's always about the team. And then thirdly, find out whether you as a leader are really making an impact. If as a leader or as a, as a, as a representative politician, you find yourself not being effective because you cannot get along with others, have the, have the, have the um, courage the moral courage to say, I cannot continue in this environment anymore and I'm not going to seek re-election. Because you can only do so much. There might not be the environment for you. A true leader is one that somebody is following. If, in the words of John Max, if you are a leader and nobody's following, you're only taking a walk. And most of the time, you don't have character because you don't have the courage that goes with the character that we're talking about here. So that's my encouragement to the politicians on how they can be better leaders. If they're leaders, engage with your team or your constituents to care about them, find a way to, to uh, work with the other, other teams for the good of all. And then thirdly, have the courage to say, I cannot continue on this path anymore. If you can do that as a politician, you don't have to work too hard to find followers. People will follow you because they're going to go to battle with you. They're going to go to bat for you. And they're going to go anywhere with you. That's my recommendation to politicians. Love it. And we're, we've, um, we don't, we're out of time. I've entertained questions that have come across. There's a couple more, uh, Mr. Rash. And I will, I will email you and them so you can have a direct dialogue because you've covered so many things awesome. you didn't even get we got half of the questions answered so um you're prolific and you're very wise and you've given us a whole lot of good things to think about today pat Thank we'll you. have to have a uh, part two sometime um and so what thought we have uh people who are looking for some new awareness and new energy as a leader what thought do you want to leave people with today well, thank you, thank you, um, you for the only thought I want to leave with people is uh, self self awareness. As a leader, you never know how well you're leading until you fail. 
<laughs> right? So the only way to know how well how, how how well you're leading is by seeking feedback, being self-aware, and being introspective. Introspection is key to leadership. Be prepared to examine yourself daily. You know, uh, as a faith-based person, as a Christian, I, I know that's a scriptural uh, connotation to that. Um, examine yourself, see whether you're making an impact in the environment um, or with your team. And if you're not making an impact with your team as you ask feedback, then be prepared to go back and fix yourself. And whether it's through coaching strategies or through training or through reading or through subscribing to Cinevision or, or, or anything like that, that has a wealth of knowledge for you, do that. If you don't have anything to give, you're not putting anything in yourself, you have nothing to give anybody. So develop yourself first, research yourself, and then you'll be able to give somebody something so they can follow you. Pat, Dr. Pat, thank you for being our guest today and sharing such great things with our audience. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me here. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.